Hey, everybody, welcome to the Talking Llama podcast. And this is part two of stepping up your podcasting sound game without breaking the bank. So again, don't have a professional studio, but Nate is going to talk about some awesome and easy things that you can do to make your podcast sound like it is professionally recorded. So hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Talking Llama podcast, the podcast for podcasters. Thanks for stopping by as we discuss all things podcasting, like gear, and creative processes, even marketing and promoting your brand. If you're looking to grow, monetize, or even just start your podcast, you're in the right place. The Talking Llama podcast is here to help you tell your story to the world with confidence. Here's your host, Ian Roth. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Talking Llama podcast. I am back with episode number two of quality audio that you can do for your podcast with Nate Bonnet who is the founder of Octave Studios, and you need to check out his podcast, The Concrete Wasteland, on all available platforms. Nate, so glad to have you back here. How are you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited to dive into these three topics to kind of, I guess, build off what we started last episode. Yeah, this is like the meat and potatoes, and listeners, buckle your seatbelts because there's going to be some hardcore audio geeking out going on here. So last episode, we talked about making sure you're in the right environment, knowing when to edit, and then getting into the quality assurance, quality control aspect, and talked about gain staging. So going to start it right off the bat here. We're going to get into EQ. So Nate, what is EQ? How do I EQ? Man, help me out here. EQ is that thing everyone likes to spend too much time with. And I'm going to tell you, that by doing that, you are doing a disservice to yourself. And what I mean by all that is when we get into what we're talking about with EQ and you go to apply it, do it in short spurts. If you're doing taking longer than 15 to 20 seconds to make a move on something, you're spending too much time and you're probably going to make the wrong move. But what do I mean by that in general? With every audio curve, when you open up an EQ board, you'll find, depending on what EQ you're using, you'll have either one to an unlimited amount of bands or points. And you can use these to dictate what parts of the audio frequencies in the track that you recorded are coming out. So in the case of, I guess, my voice, I have a decent amount of low end in there that I'm not overly used to hearing still. So I would want to take an EQ curve or a bell curve and just maybe knock it down around the two to 300 hertz area, just a hint to balance out what you're hearing. Because the main point of EQ is to make sure that the, I guess, main sound that you're hearing sounds as organic and human as possible and under-processed. Like, no one really likes listening to something that doesn't sound familiar, I guess. And what the EQ does is it helps you adjust the voice that's captured through the microphone to better represent the voice you want everyone to hear. Okay, and you talked about different levels of hertz, so and then some bell curves. So for people who maybe have never mixed before, could you just kind of paint a picture of, of what that might look like to them for the first time? Definitely, so if you imagine a graph, imagine a full graph and right in the middle, we have a line going horizontal right down the middle and that's zero and then Above and below, we go and say increments of three, plus three, plus six, plus nine, plus 12, and then neg three, neg six, and so on and so forth. A bell curve looks like a bell. 
like it looks like the point that you're pointing and dragging up or down is curving up to that point, almost like a cone, possibly, and um, then going back down in a similar fashion. Um, the best way I can say it is if you were to draw harsh points between the top and then the two base things, you'd have a isosceles triangle To uh, if you're doing a very, I guess, high, narrow curve. And you can adjust whether that curve is very wide or very narrow with the Q function on your EQ. And th what that'll dictate is, like I said, how wide or how narrow you want it to be. Maybe you only really want to cut out 250 to 275 uh, between 200 and 300. You can adjust the Q to make it very narrow. Or maybe I want to take a little bit out of everything with the main focus being in that area. I can widen the curve a bit so that it's taking a bit out of the surrounding areas as well. Okay. And the different Hertz levels stay starting on the far left is usually what about negative 500? Yeah, we start at usually a lot of EQs actually start at zero Hertz for okay. um, what for your frequency spectrum and what you're hearing on the left. And then as you're moving further right, you'll uh, have your low end, which is generally zero to uh, generally about 500. I'd say is all of your main low end, maybe 400. Then you have 500 on through, we'll say about 4K or 4,000. And that's your mid-range. So that's going to be a lot of the um, the stuff that makes it sound more or less lo-fi. So if I like boosted everything in that region and then turned everything else down, I'd sound like I'm talking through a megaphone right now. But if I brought everything up, that just kind of, I guess, not so much brightness, but clarity and sibilance is usually in there. And you'll find a lot of the aggressive attacks on S's are usually between 4 and 8K as well. So maybe you'll want to do a bit of a bell curve in those areas. And then from 4K onward to some people have 16, some people go up to 20K. Uh, okay, that's all your high end. And the best way I can describe that is the higher up you go in there by, like, say, increasing um, the curve or a high pass filter, which just creates a narrow slope and then dips off at whatever you want. So if I wanted to, raise everything from 5k up to plus 3 db uh high pass would just create a quick slope and then everything at that point would then be at plus three um that would be brightness if we're going up and then darkness if we're um going down because that's kind of the life of the vocal if that makes any sense and what kind of gives it a bit of extra presence in air I was I was gonna say presence. You hit the nail right on the head there. So, yeah, totally hard to describe. I know what it sounds like, but it, it's hard to describe it. So I think you did a great job describing what that would sound like to someone who's never done this before. So, so anything else for EQ? I know a lot of the programs, the digital audio workstations have in their EQ settings different templates that you can use, like mail spoken voice and stuff yeah. like that. So if you what have do you think for podcasters? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, if you have templates, I find they're very hand handy as good starting foundations. If you want to be like, okay, well, I'm recording this and I'm doing a male spoken word, like you said, and there's a preset here, load it up and then just be like, look at the curves, look at all the different adjustments they've made and be like, okay, what am I hearing? Do I need to make this 
more boomy? Do I need to make this less boomy? Do I need to add more life? Do I need to take less life? Is there something I'm hearing that is annoying, annoying me? Like it just hurts. Do I need to find something and just cut it out completely? Um, having that starting block will just give you a better air starting point to shape, especially if you're not overly experienced with making moves with an EQ. I find they're a great starting point because like I said at the start of the talk, don't spend a whole lot of time. Spend 15 to 20 seconds each time you're going to make a move listening to the audio because the longer that you spend letting the track play while you're holding an area and trying to search for something, the harder you're going to make it on yourself to actually pinpoint what it is exactly you are trying to either add or get rid of. Yeah, so template, great starting place, and then just tweak it from there. And like you said, I think that'll be the most efficient use of your time also. Oh, definitely. So going into maybe the second big thing that we can do when kind of doing the mixing and making ourselves sound better is compression. So very, very scary to a lot of beginners. I know it was for me when I started and hell, to be honest with you, it still is sometimes. So what is compression and how do we use it and why should we care about it? Compression, um, the best way I can describe it is it's the thing that levels everything out. I find a lot of people, though, going with that mindset, confuse it for a limiter. And it is not a limiter by any means or stretch of the um, term. It can be treated as such, but what a compressor mainly does is it sets a level that you want everything to be at, and then it cuts anything that hits above that down to the level you've set. So essentially what it'd be good for, and especially if we say use last episode as, as an example when I was talking about how distance from the mic kind of affects the voice and how if I get really deep in here, now my voice and my wavelength might be a bit quieter. Or if, say, I wasn't smart enough to, I guess, get close to the mic there and I did that same low tone shift further away from the mic, what the compressor will do is it'll help get everything set to one consistent level which is what you want. If a lot of people, if you'll notice when you listen to podcasts, even when people get, I guess, a bit quieter or they ponder or they kind of have those small little idiosyncrasies that you catch, like, um, I don't know, maybe a sneeze or just like random things or a transition from a whisper and a soft voice to a louder voice, it all still sounds like it's coming at you at the same level. And that's mainly what the goal of the compressor is, just to make sure that everything's coming out consistently. And that's kind of where some people can abuse it is they can over compress it, which takes a lot of the life out of the vocal as well. Because you got to think the more you're compressing it, the more you're taking away versus if you're just setting a point for everything to kind of level itself out, you're not losing any presence or any body, but you're also allowing that consistency to come through. Okay. So if you have someone who's talking very, very loud at one point and very, very soft at one point. It's going to be hard to get a consistent gain kind of when you're doing your gain staging. So a compressor is a good tool that we have to balance that low and that soft and that very loud vocal out. Yeah, exactly. And um, aside from that, just depending on what ratios you go, and I'd say it's very dependent on, again, what you're going for and your stylistic taste for your podcast. But there are a a variety of ratios that you can use, and that just dictates how hard the compressor is working. But different situations call for different ratios. When I'm doing, um, say, podcast work, I might set the ratio to maybe four to one or eight to one. But if I'm doing 
really aggressive, like screamed vocals in a mix. Um, on my distressor plugin, I'm hitting, I got that thing set to nuke, which is, I think, bigger than 20 to one on the ratio, just because I'm like, let's really just push this out and make it sound really fat and aggressive through these large tones. But in the case of a podcast, we're not fighting all that space and all that headroom, like uh, we were mentioning last episode. So you don't need to be nearly as aggressive on the compressor to get the desired effect. Right. And not to get too into the weeds here, but I wanted to bring it up. So you said ratio and you said four to one or eight to one. What what does four to one or eight to one mean for compressors? Uh, basically, like how much that compressor is acting. Like, is it going to be going at a speed of two to one or de- like increasing everything or decreasing everything at that rate? Or is it going to be working? It's, it's very weird because if you know... Um, or I didn't know this for the longest time, but if we're say talking in decibels uh, on a fader and you're starting to go down from like zero to negative one to negative two to negative three, um, I thought those were just incremental moves. But the same with a compressor, they're very much like more, um, uh, what's the term, like to the power of. So negative one is negative one, but negative two is equal to two times negative one. Negative three is equal to three times and it just keeps compounding and compounding and compounding and compounding as it goes. And that's basically the same way a compressor acts. Okay. So something should definitely take into consideration. I think I agree with you for four to one or eight to one for podcasting spoken word vocals is probably appropriate. Almost definitely. That's you shouldn't need to go any further. The only time you might want to is if you say using one microphone for a lot of people in a room and it's a stationary mic and no one's holding onto it. So if say I had four people in the room with me, we were scattered out and we were all talking into this mic, a more aggressive ratio might be um, able to be used then just because it's a different environment. Instead of me talking directly into the microphone, we're all talking in this space and have the microphone set to capture us all at once. And what is, what's the threshold you have for your podcast just on your compressor? I try to, uh, let me think here. Trying to remember. I think I set it to about neg, man, I have a thing for neg six. I try to, overall, yeah, I, I try to so. go, I, I try to go for neg six or uh, three decibels of gain reduction. And that's, that okay. is represented by what you'll see in, I guess, the UI interface that represents how hard the compressor is moving. Okay. Well, I think we'll, we won't go into the weeds any further, but listeners, if you want to get in touch with Nate and ask some more very, very specific audio questions, check the end of the first episode, or Nate will tell you where to find him. I'm going to hold him at the end of this episode because he's just extremely knowledgeable about this stuff. And he and I could geek out on audio stuff for two hours, and I don't think we would keep the audience attention that long, but no, they'd probably dip out. They'd probably dip out right away and then maybe leave it on in the background and come back two hours later and be like, how are they still talking about this? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. They definitely would. That's uh very true. So, okay. We talked about EQ. We talked about compression and then kind of wrapping up here of the quality control we can do at our level as of at home podcasters and editors. So a noise gate. When should I use a noise gate and and what is a noise gate, man? A noise gate is a wonderful tool. So what you can do with the noise gate is you can set a threshold to basically be like, don't play anything that doesn't go above this level. 
So now if we say go back to the scenario we placed in the last episode where I'm a complete new individual to this. I'm using the spare room. I just want to finally do the podcast that I've been saying I'll do for the last however long. Um, this will be really handy if you say have a loud fan on your computer or the kids are upstairs and they're making noise in um, the background that you can hear in between sentences. And there's uh, there's one other thing we'll touch into after noise gates that's mainly useful in just Reaper, but it's touches on background noises that you don't want. But that's the main purpose of the gate. It's just helping you get rid of anything that you don't want to hear in the background. So if we're doing, say, that nature podcast that we were talking about where you're hiking and all that and you're using a condenser microphone, you don't want to use a gate because half the experience is all that background ambient noise. But if, say, it's a situation like we have here, a gate might be handy if we're in an environment where, say, you can hear my computer fan and you don't want to, or the dishwasher's going upstairs, or for some reason, the fridge or, fridge or washing machine are just being really loud today, and I can hear it humming in the background, and it's annoying in between sentences. You can cut that out, and it'll just help create a little bit of, a little bit of, uh, I guess, um, not clarity, but it'll clean up your tracks a little bit. Yeah, so uh, noise gate, just exactly like you said, but you set a certain decibel level that essentially you want to cut out. Is that right? Yeah, you'll be like, so in the case of what we're saying here, if uh, I notice all of my vocals are having waves and I have nothing that's dipping out and not visible, then I would want to say, open my gate. And if it has a monitoring reading, that's great. Because now you can just look at the track and be like, where is everything sitting? But if not, you can just take it as low as you want and then slowly move it up. And then when you start hearing words getting cut out, bring it back down just a hair so that nothing's being lost or taken away from. Yeah. Noise gate is something, I mean, like we said, I have, I have three kids and you know, a house that is just loud all the time and noise gate has saved my rear end. I've gotten, I've had awesome interviews and then had some co- sort of noise go on in the background and like, Oh no, Oh no. How am I going to save that? And a noise gate more often than not has been able to save my rear end and cut that ambient, noise unintentional noise that i didn't want in there out so man awesome noise gates noise gates are great yeah they are and there's one other plugin i'm trying to remember what the name of it is right now it's one of those ones that i always use if i have to and i'm for the life of me it escapes me i think it's f i n r it's a it's a reaper um preset plugin that just comes free with the interface but essentially on top of being a compressor it actually has a multiband compressor where I can read the spectral imaging of dead space. So say I have six or seven seconds of dead space where I'm not saying anything, I'm not moving, you can't hear anything, but you can hear ambient noise. I can actually tell it to automatically read the spectrum that is produced by that, play those eight seconds, uncheck the box, and now it removes those frequencies from my audio track. So it might... Cut a few things out of the voice that I don't want, in which case I'll have to go and adjust. But if, say, I just notice that there's a fan hitting the low end or the high end that's just annoying, I can cut those out completely. And depending on how I do EQ and compression after the fact, it won't be that noticeable. That's great. And something you said, add compression after the fact, I wanted to just kind of ask you this final question as we're wrapping up here. So, like, what is the sequence of different plugins? At, like, what order do you put them on? your raw vocals i mean do you do the eq first the compressor first like what's the noise gate noise gate eq compression 
Okay, noise gate, EQ, compression. Outstanding. And then after that, maybe a little bit of saturation. Okay, when do you do the gain staging? Is that first or is that at the end once every other um, levels are? Gain staging should be? be consistent from plugin to plugin. You'll notice on every plugin you use, there's generally an out, like an output knob. It's um, if you gain staged everything properly on your recording, then what you should do is set your vocal to a level that you like on the fader. And then every time you make a move, the moment you hear things getting louder, duck down the output volume on the last plugin you used to match where you had it beforehand. Awesome. And I'm writing this down. So I remember to do it for my episodes. So I'm learning just as much as our, listener, our listeners <laughs> are from me here, Nate. Oh, that's perfect. That awesome. was honestly one of my biggest issues for the longest time because that helps prevent you from constantly being like, this needs to go up just one more tick. This needs to go up just one more tick. Three hours later, what do you mean I'm at plus 12 dB on the fader and have no more room? And everything sounds like schmoosh. Yeah, that, that hits close to home, man. Yeah, been there, done that, got the t-shirt when I was starting out with my <laughs> podcast. So I, I definitely yeah. sympathize. So uh, hey, anything else uh, the listeners should know about audio? Put out a lot of good stuff here. Um, just know what it is you're looking for. And if you have a podcast that you really enjoy, listen to it and try to pick out what it is you like about it. Cause that might just help you figure out how it is a, you want your podcast to sound and maybe it'll help you also figure some things out down the line as well. Awesome. Nate, again, it's been an honor and privilege having you on the show. Freaking love talking audio with you. It's been too long to get you on the show. So, so happy we were able to do these two episodes. And where can listeners go to find you and reach out to you if they have more specific questions that, one, that they want to pick your brain about? Definitely. I actually didn't mention a few of these last episodes, so I'll go in depth here. Aside from uh, the website uh, that also hosts the podcast at octavestudiosmh.com slash podcast, I also have the Concrete Wasteland on all streaming platforms. And I run a YouTube channel, actually just search Nate Bonnet. And aside from like my typical like vocal covers, I actually have a tips and tricks series that I have up there. And there's some introductory stuff to DAW stuff that I think will be very handy just in, I think I have one on gain staging and um, how to use multiband compressors, but just there's some introductory to DAW stuff. There's some... I guess how to properly prepare if you're into bands or into music. There's a lot of stuff directed at that like new musician or that new person that just wants to get into the community and help. And uh, you can also find me on Facebook. Um, I have my page and my studio and the podcast uh, all have their own separate Facebook pages. So you can just find me on there and just shoot me a message. And I'm always available to talk. And if I'm not, I'll get back to you the moment I'm done, whatever it is I'm currently doing. All right, Nate. Hey, man, thanks for being on the show. I've been a long time coming and looking forward to uh, talking more audio stuff with you down the road here. I'm stoked. Just let me know when you want me back and thank you for having me. It's been a great time. Hey there, my llama friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Talking Llama podcast. If you want to learn more about Talking Llama Media, please head to our website at talkinglama.com. If you find value in this show, please subscribe so that you stay up to date with all new episodes. And if this content really speaks to you, share it with a friend or consider leaving a review. Doing this not only spreads the Talking Llama message, but who knows, could possibly help someone take their first step in starting their own podcast. If you really want to take your support for Talking Llama Media to the next level, I would be extremely grateful if you joined the Talking Llama Herd and became a patron. 
We have three levels of Patreon tiers, all of which give you access to unique, additional Talking Llama content. Thank you so much for your support. Stay confident, stay creative, and most importantly, speak your legacy. See you next time.